I'm Susan Charin Joseph, occupational therapist, founder, and owner of Occupational Therapy for Kids. I am an OT and I've been an OT for over 20 years and I'm a proud mom to two teens and my youngest being autistic. Ben, who is my son, has transformed me from being, I guess, an overbearing mom to a mom who has learned so much from her son and it has made me a better clinician as well as a better human being. So I launched Battles and Blessings as a means to talk and chat up a conversation with my fellow occupational therapists who are experts in the field of autism, as well as to speak to other rehab professionals, and most importantly, to speak to self-advocates, such as my son, Ben, who identifies as autistic and as an amazing team leader. So Ben is 13 years old and you will hear me talk about Ben in a lot of my conversations on the podcast and I just wanted to let everyone know that Ben has given me consent to share his story as well as he loves being talked about like so he loves hearing me talk about him and talk about how he has transformed my life. So in this podcast, you will hear me using language that is identity first language, which means that I will be using words like autistic, because Ben likes to be referred to as autistic and not as a boy or a teen with autism. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode three of Battles and Blessings Mm. with me, Susan. Today, our topic is on relationships, which in my new book, Transformed by Love, I put as treat others like you would like to be treated. I have the honor of hosting and speaking to the amazing Kim Bartel today on this topic of relationships with regards to attachment, trauma, and emotional regulation in autism and other neurodiverse diagnoses. I am sure everyone has listened and learned from Kim. But for those of you who are not familiar with OT extraordinaire Kim, let me give you a brief introduction. Kim is a speaker, instructor, author, mentor, consultant, facilitator, and clinician. As a clinician with a private practice since 1989, Kim is a registered occupational therapist in British Columbia, Ontario, and the United States. While she is predominantly a speaker and a teacher, She also assesses and supports a wide range of clients, often when there is a complexity involved. Mm. She is an advanced neurodevelopmental treatment instructor, as well as a sensory integration instructor. As per Kim's bio on her website, the hot topics she wakes up thinking about are understanding complex behavior, neurobiology, sensory processing, movement, trauma-informed practice, attachment theory, mental health, and anything that will support people in being their best selves. In May 2019, Kim was honored as a recipient of the prestigious Award of Merit by the Canadian Association of Occupational Therapists. As an OT, I have attended workshops and courses by Kim, and I've always admired Kim's ease of explaining complex topics such as neurobiology, epigenetics, sensory processing, attachment, and most recently, relationships and trauma-informed practice. Mm. It is my honor 
to be hosting another OT crush of mine, Kim Bartel on Battles and Blessings. Welcome, mm. Kim. Mm. Susan, thank you so much for the honor of our conversation we're about to have. And it is a delight to be with you today. Thank you, Kim. So as the podcast is mainly about occupational therapy and neurodiverse communities, such as autistics, I would like to initiate this episode by asking you your view on a few topics. Okay. So for me, autism is close to my heart because my son is autistic. So I come with a little bit of a hidden agenda here, but I just wanted to bring to the forefront how important relationships are, not only in a neurotypical world, but how much more it is in the neurodiverse population. Mm. So the first topic, if I may, is autism and neurodiversity from the lens of relationships based on attachment, both between the child and a caregiver. So it could be a parent or a caregiver, as well as a child and a clinician. So we being clinicians in the field, I mean, I know I believe that relationship, I cannot do any therapy of any kind without having a relationship with my, who I call kiddos. I call all of my kids kiddos. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. When I think about your book, Transformed by Love, I think you know this phenomenon from the inside out that you're asking me. This idea of attachment. I've been thinking recently about what are we and who are we actually attaching to? And when I think about my own definition of regulation, that the ability to regulate my physiology, my behavior, my being, it requires that I am connected to myself. And ultimately, that is the intent of attachment, is to provide this container of relationship that allows the developing brain of the child to feel, experience, and know themselves through the lens of safety and reflection. In your eyes, I see myself as. And this phenomenon, deeply embedded in attachment, arises from another word that comes up here that I call attunement, which is putting your mind in the mind of another person. Now, in order to do that, this is not an easy thing. Attunement means that I need to be present. My mind needs to be open, available, and curious. And I need a little bit of, at least a little bit of, self-reflection to know what is me as the adult, what is my history, what's being activated here, Mm -hmm. and what is my capacity to truly be with the other person. So this is a fairly evolved skill. And as humans, we've been doing this for as long as we've been on this planet. And you only need to have it's some of the time for it to be enough mm-hmm. to experience yourself in the eyes of another. So this attunement is exaggerated, enhanced, and blessed by love. That when there is oxytocin and true fuel to 
experience that other person. You can feel it when I say it. What happens is, is their brain feels that, experiences that chemically, biologically, and sensorily through our eyes, through our voice, through our touch, through our body movements, when we pick up our kids or when we don't pick up our kids, mm-hmm. meaning sometimes it's better not to, right? And these ingredients, when they are in sync with the child's state, then the child learns to feel safe, mm-hmm. comfortable, and connected with themselves and with others. So this is the purpose, really, of this attachment that happens in a caregiving world and also in a clinical world. And it does not mean that we have to be perfect. It means that we show up some of the time in that way. Did that make sense, what I just said? Absolutely. And that's the reason why you're who you are, because you explained it so well. Yes, I totally agree that love is the basis of anything. So there might be love in a parent and a child, But there's a different kind of love when you're a clinician and a client. There is still love. Yes. There has to be love. So absolutely. Talking about love and talking about trauma. And I think being an OT in the field and I'm currently the OT in the children and mental health unit at my local hospital. So I mean, I've read and I've seen, I guess, the trauma that some of our kids have gone through. Yes. And especially the ACEs, so the adverse childhood experiences. So can you put some more light? It's a big topic, but the trauma-informed practice. Yes. How can we practice as being trauma-informed clinicians? Brilliant Um, question. Yeah. There are a few principles involved in being trauma. And I use the word sensitive. I'll tell you why. Okay. Okay. Being a clinician who's been working in the field of trauma for almost 30 years now, trauma-informed lives in the head. It's a bunch of concepts. Mm -hmm. And I think that we all can learn these principles. But throughout this pandemic, everyone knows trauma. And that's sensing it. It's now embodied. So a trauma-sensitive lens allows you to do the best you can with what you have to sense into the potential of another's experience, which is different than information, right? The informed. That sensing into is a calling for curiosity. And that's the first principle. There is always a reason for why people do what they do. That all emotional, behavioral Mm -hmm. manifestations, displays, are a biological communication of something. And if I open my mind to curiosity, I close my mind to judgment. And that shifts away from shame, adrenaline, drops in chemistry and moves it to openness, love, dopamine, endorphins, where there is a greater degree of capacity for the receiver to really feel safe in themselves. So being trauma sensitive is about creating felt safety, that sense of comfort. And so that's the second principle is to develop a climate of comfort and safety, which allows the child or the adult to be brave, 
-hmm. because you don't change by safety alone. But risk and bravery emerge from that place. That environment of safety and comfort happens through the relationship, Mm -hmm. happens through the environment, the contextual factors, Mm -hmm. and it also happens through the task that you ask the person to do. It has to have that just right fit. That's right. The other principle involved in trauma-sensitive practice is the intent and attempt to avoid re-traumatizing. When you think about sometimes our clients have a history of medical trauma mm-hmm. and coming into a hospital environment, wow. innately in and of itself is activating. That's right. And so it makes us mindful of Well, if it's possible, maybe this is not where I do my work in this setting, that we become as capable as we can to avoid and step around igniting factors for an individual. Language, how we talk matters when we're trauma sensitive. For example, use phrases like, I know this is happening for you and... Mm -hmm. This is how it needs to look. So you take that word, but out of there, right? So there's a whole system of language that goes with being trauma sensitive that enhances one's emotional vocabulary. And it's about working together in as a team Mm -hmm. so that everyone is speaking that same language. So these are the ways to create a workplace that comes from that trauma-sensitive perspective. So I already learned so much. Like, how long have you been speaking? 10 minutes? Like, five minutes? Yeah. I'm going to, not trauma-informed, trauma-sensitive. Oh, my gosh. So it's just a shift in language, but what a difference. Yes. What a difference. Wow. So being OTs, I guess we are called upon quite often to talk about sensory processing and We spoke a little bit about the touch and, you know, attachment happens through touch. I know as an OT, I guess, and as a mom, vestibular is big. So movement. So when you're trying to calm a baby, you're swaying the baby. And I know you're the guru of sensory in the sense, the touch and the vestibular. How can we use those modalities or those sensory systems to help regulate kids who are not infants anymore, like who are probably school-aged or maybe even young adults, because I have the whole gamut that I see in the mental health unit. So when you think about the brain, irrespective of a diagnosis, you know, if I bring to this picture, a brain that has a difference in the way it's wired, neurodiverse, or I bring to this picture, a brain that has been shaped into vigilance through chronic fear, they're going to look similar in the way that they respond to the environment and the states of intrinsic energy and arousal will be altered either because of how I'm wired or because I learned that I need to keep myself safe even when there is no danger. Mm -hmm. The body is the home of regulation. In fact, neurobiologically, it's very difficult to shift your autonomic nervous system with your mind. Let's just say that. Yeah, for sure. My primitive responses of how I adapt to the environment 
is driven by mostly my brainstem as well as my limbic brain. And my cortical brain evolves across my lifespan. I'm still working on it. (laughs) And, you know, it's not until you're an adult that you really can use language and meaning making to inform your autonomic nervous system in a way that actually grounds itself in the body. That's a hard task, especially if I'm someone that has learned that the world is not safe. Mm -hmm. So the body, when I say the body, every single data bite of information second by second is sensory. That's right. And it's undeniable. If you breathe, you are taking in sensory information. And this is really where the brain has its ability to create this sense of safety within. Yeah. It's through the sensory systems. So many of our, if I'm attuned, mm-hmm. the client almost always tells me what they need. Yes. If I'm watching them and I watch them hold their body in a particular position, lift their shoulders up towards their yes. ears yes. or hold their breath or flap their hands or rock their body, the picture of how they present is telling me how brilliant they are, how they are already using the resources they've got Mm -hmm. to be able to find that sense inside of comfort and safety. Mm -hmm. And so I want to broaden their toolbox. I want to take the toolbox they already use Mm-hmm. And give them a few more in there so that they have other ways for that same experience so that it doesn't feel like so much work. And so we think about things like movement. Vestibular, by the way, is for those who don't know that word, it's movement of your head, mm-hmm. movement of your body through space. So many individuals who are differently wired struggle with this, really struggle. Their brains struggle with this. And so the world is very different if you don't know, am I moving or is the world moving? That's right. And so when we as OTs come on the scene, we watch, okay, what direction do you already use your body? Mm-hmm. You know, do you rock? Do you shift your weight side to side? Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you do a lot of movement just with your head? head yeah. What do you do? And then we can find everyday activities that feed that need and then add to that need so that the person doesn't, I mean, as I'm talking to you now, I'm moving my body. (laughs) We do those things quite naturally. So I don't know, does that begin to answer your question? Touch and vestibular and proprioception, which we didn't move, which we didn't talk about, is... Moving my body against resistance. Those are the powerhouses of this is me. Mm -hmm. This is me. And I know that you had a chance to talk with Kelly about interoception, (laughs) right? And the blend of interoception with the ground of vestibular proprioception and touch. This is me. And this is not me. That's right. And that's where that boundary, that barrier that makes me more me in the yeah. world emerges yeah. from. Yeah. We can just talk about sensory itself, like each system separately, and that could take us hours, right? Because, oh my gosh, yeah. So 
we both love sensory so yes so that's great so i wanted to just i know i've watched the video i guess it's a documentary of decoding tashi and the yes. monk yes and honestly i know you had a free webinar was it a webinar that you had that was free a few weeks ago and we spoke through each scene and i yes. watched that and i was like okay i have to talk about that on the podcast because tashi is an example of the relationship between tashi and the monk i mean for those who haven't watched it they have to watch it so we'll put it in the link below if you don't mind so that you know we can spread the word but i know that you worked closely with tashi and you're very much involved i don't want to mispronounce the name of the organization so i'll let you tell me happy, a little bit more happy happy too <laughs> yes yeah so jamse gatsa is a community in arunachal pradesh india which is on the india bhutan border border yeah. and this is a children's community of children who are abandoned sold who come from significant adverse childhood experience and my friend and colleague lopsang funsak who was previously a tibetan monk experienced these adverse conditions himself and as an adult decided to create a community for children like him with the potential of using love and compassion as the healing force and so yes we have we as in our family and our company have been supportive of jamse gatsal since 2012 2014 especially in person and providing guidance and understanding of decoding tashi and the monk puts the science to that which genla lobsang does quite intuitively as a form of attunement right wow. yeah yeah i mean i've watched that a few times but every time i watch it i learn something new i see it from a different lens and i think and that's why it's so powerful i'm sure it's been shown to ot students or hopefully in universities i don't know but I think oh, that's something it would be a yeah. great place for it to go. So thank you for that. Yeah, so I just became adjunct lecturer at UFT, so I don't know if I can pass it through yeah. there. Yeah. Because I think I think our OT students need to know theory is one, but to see it in action and to see yeah. it is amazing. So I'm mindful of time, so I think yeah. I would like to end this podcast, hopefully the first of many. I tell this to all my guests. like I've had Moira and I've Kelly and I've said I'm sure I'm going to have you guys on again because I can have so many conversations but based how would you want to sum up or what would you want to tell the audience who are watching mm-hmm. and who are listening as to how do relationships matter because that's your company name so yes relationships matter matter yeah. and really the primary relationship that sits in the core of it all is the relationship you have with yourself. And so I think my parting message is the only person you can change is yourself. And that's a very interesting journey to have that kind of relationship with the self and what that brings to the therapeutic process. Absolutely. Thank, thank you Susan. Thank you. Thank you Kim. Thank you for your time. I couldn't have summed it up any better. Yes, it definitely begins with yourself and I'm going to plug in my book here again because yes. the book is called Transformed by Love and it's my story yes. of how the love for my son has transformed my life. So I couldn't change mm-hmm. my son and I didn't want to change him, 
but I wanted to change how I looked at things as an OT. And so I'm so happy that you actually said, yeah, the only person I could change is me. And I'm so glad I changed me because I've evolved as a mom, as a wife, as a clinician, and hopefully as a human being. So thank you mm. so much. Thank you. Take care. Thank you.